21. Last week, last Sunday morning, uh, I preached from verse number 17 of this chapter. And I desperately wanted to follow it up by talking about another verse that we'll get to in just a minute. And uh, this is going to be more rambling. I, I know what I want to say, but I'm not sure how I'm going to say it. I, I told you this morning I didn't even try to make an outline. I just jotted down some things I wanted to get across. And, and it's all going to boil down to one main point whenever we get, you know, right to the bottom of the barrel. And so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, this is certainly not what I would have taught in homiletics years ago. Uh, not the approach, but sometimes I think maybe a fireside chat's better than uh, uh, better than a structured sermon with three points and a poem. And so uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. Verse number eighteen. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. It says, "And of His own will begat He us with the Word of Truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures." Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of God, a man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." I said this morning, the title of the message tonight is Soul Survival. And I want to emphasize again, we're not talking about, which I've never seen, there's a reality show, I think, called Soul Survivor, but that's talking about S-O-L-E. We're talking about the soul, S-O-U-L, not a survivor, but survival. And uh, it'll become apparent as we go along. And uh, I happened, to, and I believe in giving credit where credit is due, and so I happened to be reading an article. Uh, I don't remember what the article was all about, actually, but John Piper, and he used a phrase there in making a comment about uh, soul survival. And, uh, boy, I, I, when, when, I, when I was thinking of this first, I thought, you know, that is the perfect phrase for what I'm talking about tonight. I mean, it says it best. You know, I could have titled the message Help for Holiness or, uh, you know, a lot of other things, but that says it best, Soul Survival. And uh, we talked uh, already a bit about the responsibility of receiving what God gives. And in that list of things that we ought to receive, of course, we talked about receiving the Scriptures. Well, in this case, our text tonight is verse number 21. And I want you to notice the phrase here, the engrafted word. 
Now, the context of the message, that's why I started reading in verse 18 down through verse 25, so you would see the context. The context has to do with overcoming sin and living righteously, in other words, being doers of the Word. That's the context. And so whenever we look at verse number uh, 21, we have to keep that in the context, and that's the key uh, to everything here, and the key to it is receiving the Word of God. You know, the two most important things in a Christian's life is prayer and Bible study. And by the way, you can't do one effectively without the other. You can't be a good student of the Bible without prayer, and you can't pray properly unless you've saturated your soul in the Word of God. Those two things go hand in hand. So tonight, we're going to talk about the role of God's Word in our life. And the first thing I want you to notice here is that, uh, that we're born again. Look at verse 18. We're born again, he says, by the Word of truth. If you'll turn just a page or two over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. So the word of God is the means that God uses in order to bring us into his family. As a result of that, we receive certain responsibilities. Look at verse number 19 in the very first word in verse 19. Wherefore, wherefore, because we've been born again, we ought to do as we're told in verse number 21. You see the connection there? He just said we're born again. We're born again by the word of truth. Wherefore, and we come to verse 21 here, he says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, that's a command. That's not a suggestion. God's not saying, you know, it would be a really good idea if you'd spend a little time in the Bible. This is a command that we do that. And uh, I want you to notice that James, look back to verse 18 again, James is speaking to those who have been born again. Look at verse 19. He says, My beloved brethren. So he's speaking to Christians when he makes this statement. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now that might be confusing to some folks unless they understand that there are three tenses to salvation. The moment that we receive Christ, we are forgiven and we are saved from the penalty of sin. That is a done deal, once forever experience. It's never to be repeated. I mean, that's it. We never have to worry about the penalty of sin. But salvation is also progressive in the sense that we are being saved from the power of sin. And then, as most of you know, there is a third tense of salvation, and that's looking into the future. We shall be saved from the very presence of sin someday. 
Paul spoke of those three tenses when he was writing uh, to, to the church at Corinth and reminded them that we have been saved, we're being saved, and, and we shall be saved. So all of that is, uh, is, is, is scriptural. So having been saved then from the penalty of sin, being in the process of God saving us from the power of sin in our life, the idea behind it is that we are being developed spiritually. That, we, that is, we are growing in spiritual maturity. And that requires the Word of God. The Word of God is at work in the child of God conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Years ago, I had a, had a friend, some of you might remember Jewel Smith. Jewel Smith had probably the best Bible collection in the world. And uh, we had Jewel Smith to come and uh, had conducted services throughout the week and brought a part of his Bible collection with him. I have in my office a first edition page First edition, mind you, this is 1611. First edition page out of the King James Bible. That's hanging in my office. It, nobody better steal it either. I was blessed in that the page I got, it, it, I mean, if I had my choice of anywhere in all of the Bible, it would have been this. The page I've got contains Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12. And I want to read that. It says, For the Word of God is quick, that means it's alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, the Word of God is powerful, it's active, it's alive, it's at work in the child of God, transforming us. Now, now listen carefully, because here's where some people are going to get confused if they're not careful. Look back at our text again, verse number 21. Notice the statement, he says, the receiving of the engrafted Word. That is, it has been engrafted, it's been implanted, it has become a part of us as the child of God. And notice he says, it's able to save your souls. Now remember, he's speaking to those that have already been saved. He's not speaking about what the Word of God has done. We've been quickened, made alive by the Word of God. They've been saved by embracing the Word of God. That's what it has done. But he's talking here about what it is able to do, able to save your soul. You know, a lot of times we talk about souls being saved, and we always do so in the context of the unsaved coming to know Christ as their Savior, and that's well and good. That's the proper That's the proper uh, uh, term for that, saving souls. That's wonderful. But there is a sense in which... Even as Christians, there is a saving, a delivering of our souls in the progressive sense. The soul is that inner part, unseen part of a person. It, 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 and I've often described it, and as others have, it is the seed of self-consciousness. In other words, it involves our mind, our will, and our emotions. Man is 
created in the image of God. God is a trinity. Man is a trinity in the sense that we, we, have, uh, that we are a spirit and a soul and a body. The body's the seat of world consciousness. I relate through to the world through my five senses. There's a sense of touch. I, I know that's wood. I can see it and so forth. And so I relate to the world by means of my five senses, my body. But my seat of self-consciousness is the soul. That's the part of me that will never die. Now, the body's going to die, but the soul is that part of me that's going to exist somewhere forever. But there's also the spirit, and the spirit is that most inner part that is the seed of God consciousness. That sets us apart from every animal creature on the earth. We have a spirit within us. And the word save can be used in several different ways. Uh, it, it simply means deliverance, to be delivered. Uh, it could be uh, used in the sense of being rescued or even in the sense of being protected or preserved. And let me tell you, as long as we're on earth, that's what we need. As long as we're here, we need a deliverance. We need to be protected. We need to be preserved and so forth as long as we're here as God's children. Being born, again, is one thing, but behaving as we should is another thing. That's what James is trying to get across uh, to his readers here. You know, it's one thing to be born again, but it's another way to behave in a manner that is becoming of a Christian person. And, you know, sadly, after after being saved, a lot of people seem to think, well, I'm, you know, I've been saved. I'm going to heaven. You know, I'm a child of God. I, I, you know, I don't need to do a lot of Bible study anymore. And let me tell you, that's a big mistake. It's it's like saying, you know, I, I'm alive. I I don't need nourishment anymore. You know, I'll, I'll just quit eating. I'm alive, and you know, I can walk across the floor or do this or do that, and. And so I'll, I'm alive. But let me tell you, you must have nourishment of some sort physically. And the same thing's true spiritually. Job 23, verse what 12, I think it is, he says, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. I don't know anybody here that would say, that would say, you know, I, I, I've come to the place in life that I just don't need to eat. Now, some of us probably need to eat less, maybe, but uh, nobody would say, I don't need to eat. We all need the nourishment that comes from food. And there's never a time in our life to where we no longer need the Word of God. Look at Second Timothy chapter number 2, because here in chapter 2, and I want you to notice what he says in verse 4. We'll come back and look at another verse here in a moment. He says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That is so very much like what James is saying here. You know, God, God is, is transforming us. 
That's his intent. As I said this morning in Romans 8, 29, you know, God has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's going to be complete in the day of our glorification. But until that happens, we're in this stage of progressive sanctification where we're growing spiritually. And that requires that we receive the Word of God. And, and here's the key to it. Uh, James tells us we have to receive it, notice, with meekness. That indicates that we have to be teachable. You know, a lot of people think of meekness as weakness, but it's not. Uh, in, in fact, uh, meekness is a word that, uh, for, for example, somebody that, uh, uh, back when I was a kid, they plowed with horses back then, or mules, and uh, and as you know, a horse or a mule, either one, can be very stubborn. And so whenever they had broke a horse or a mule and made it usable, they would use the phrase that he's been meeked. Come under submission, you see. That, that's what meekness is all about. Us coming before the Lord, ready to submit, willing to yield, accepting and he's talking about that we have to accept the Word of God in that way. Now, he said, verse 18, he says, He beget us with the Word of truth that he has engrafted now, here in verse number 20, word one, that is, the Word is within us, but we have to receive it in order to progress, just as we eat to grow. Now, now think with me. It's not just the gospel. When we talk about the salvation initially, we talk about somebody, you know, being born again, and, the, you know, the golden kernel of the Word of God, naturally, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this goes beyond that. It's not like we just need the gospel. We need more than that. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.17, he says, All Scripture is given by God and is profitable. It's all intended for our welfare. We need it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. So he says that we must receive it, but we must receive it with meekness. That word receive means to welcome. I, I love the first three verses of Psalms. In fact, I'm going to take time just to read these verses because they're just so precious, so meaningful. And uh, some of you might remember it's probably been 15 years since I've done it, but I've got a series that I teach on Psalms 1, and especially most of it, the bulk of it, has to do with these first three verses. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted with the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Oh, sometimes, you know, we wonder, well, why it is that we're failing so miserably. Well, you know, it just might be that the answer is right there. Whenever we meditate in the law day and night, 
as we saturate our soul with the Word of God and meditating upon it, it becomes a part of it just as, you know, whenever you meditate upon it, it's like digesting your food. Your food wouldn't help you if you just put it in your mouth and chewed it up and spit it out. You've got to assimilate that into your body, you see. Digest it. It becomes a part of you. And the Word of God is the same way. It's not enough just to even memorize a verse of Scripture, you know, and just log it in the file cabinet of your mind, and there it is. And if anybody asks you, you could ever just pull that out, you know, and say, quote it just like a parrot. It doesn't do you any good. It has to become a part of you. And as you do that, as you receive it, notice, with meekness, that word receive speaks about having a compliant spirit. Uh, maybe a better way to think of it is, is, is coming to a feast. You know, we liken the word of God unto food. And when he says that we receive it, that is, we welcome it, it's, it's, like, it's like coming to a feast. And, uh, you know, rather than being summons to court, you with me? A lot of times, you know, somebody has to go to court because they've been summoned, and I mean, they're going to be in trouble if they don't, so they got to go, but they really don't want to. They're there out of necessity, but they really don't want to be there. You know, I can remember back when I got saved, and I, I'm really glad that my pastor was wise enough that he, he got the whole church involved in reading through the Bible in a year. You know, that's a, that's a great plan to do this. Never enough, but, but it's a good starting place, you see. But I found myself just trying to get through the Bible reading of the day, and especially whenever I was over there in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and what have you, I thought, oh, Lord, what all of these genealogies of names I can't even pronounce. And so I was just racing through it, trying to get it crowded in for the day. And, and I was doing it just because whenever he would say, how many of you up to date on your Bible reading? I could raise my hand and be honest. I really wasn't meditating upon it. And I finally discovered it's a whole lot better to take one verse and spend 30 minutes on that one verse than it is to read through a whole chapter of the Bible, you see. And so we ought to receive it like, like we're coming to a feast and something that we not only need, but something that we enjoy. Now, notice here that when we receive the engrafted word with meekness, and keep that in mind, because it's the attitude of your heart that's going to determine whether or not the word of God has a positive effect upon your life. If the attitude of our heart isn't right, if we're just there because we've been summoned before the court, you know, we're not going to get a blessing out of it. We're not going to be helped by it. But whenever we come to the Word of God like it is a feast that is spread out before us, I'll tell you, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it begins to change our life. And notice this phrase here. I colored it in yellow here. It says, that is able... It's able. The engrafted word is able. Man, I, I could speak for an hour just on that. It's able. Remember what he said there in Hebrews 4, 12 all ago? It's powerful. N not only can the word of God save you from the wrath of God, 
It can deliver you from anger and from temptation and from any sin. Now, let me tell you why I'm so concerned about this matter. Because absolutely nothing retards our spiritual growth like a reluctance to receive the Word of God. You see, the work of God can't go on without the Word of God. If God's going to continue to work in your life and conforming you and using you and so forth, uh, in whatever way, it's going to require an intake of the Word of God, but you have to read it. You have to, folks. You have, in other words, you have to receive the Word of God. And um, that's the key to change. It's the key not only to change, but, you know, to spiritual growth and the key to our safety as a Christian because then we become, as James says, what? Doers of the Word. Remember the context. We're talking about, you know, living victoriously over sin and becoming doers of the Word. And the question is, are you a doer of the Word? And, and certainly that implies more than just doing some of the things that are required from the Word. I think all of us tonight, we could look at it and say, well, there's something in the Bible that I'm obeying, some part of the Bible that I'm following, something God requires I'm doing, but being a doer of the Word means that we have an appreciation for and a dedication to the entire Word of God. And if we're not a doer of the Word, we need to ask the question, why? And if you start back in verse 13, reading up to verse 18, here's what you're going to discover, and that's this. And it's very clear that when we fail, we cannot blame anyone but ourselves. You can't blame someone else, you know. Some somebody says, "Well, you know, I just I I didn't aim to lose my temper. Just you know, if it hadn't been for what you did, you made me do this." And we always want to shift the blame to someone else, but we can't do that because by way of His Word, God has provided everything we need to live victoriously. Go back over to Second Peter again, chapter number one. Second Peter, chapter number one. And we're going to begin in verse number 2. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Where does that come from? The Word of God, right? So it's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, 
Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. I'm sure there's some people wonders, you know, well, why do you preachers harp on these certain things all of the time? Well, that explains it. Because of the extreme importance of the subject of God's Word, it, Job 23.12 needs to be repeat, uh, repeated over and over and over again. Because I'm telling you, the, the average church member, I'm not talking about just here, average church member wherever, they, for whatever reason, they just don't get it. So let me start toward the end by going back to the beginning, reminding you of the title of the message, which is soul, that innermost part of you, the seat of your self-consciousness, your mind, will, and emotion, your, the survival of your soul. And, and, and I've got to say, regardless of how hard I try, and, and for all of these years, I, I just feel like I'm never able to get most people to really understand this. And whenever I speak about, you know, the, this matter, and again, they think, well, you know, I've been saved and I'm going to heaven and, uh, that's all there is to it. No, it's not. Salvation is more than that. Salvation changes our condition as well as our position. Positionally, you know, we are a child of God. We always shall be a child of God, and we're going to heaven. But when it comes to our condition, there can be a lot of fluctuation in that because, you know, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but we're still struggling with this business of power over sin. And the only way that we save ourselves, the only way that, that we can provide survival for our soul is through the receiving of the Word of God. So the Word of God, listen carefully, the Word of God saves the soul of a Christian in the sense that it produces holiness. Are you with me? Are anybody confused about that? I'll, we'll just stop and talk about it. Anybody confused about that? We've been saved, right? But we're being saved as well. But that, listen, that's not automatic. That doesn't just happen because you've been saved. You don't just automatically grow into, in, into a mature Christian. It requires an intake of the Word of God, you see. And that's why he is urging them, receive with meekness that is welcome to yourself with meekness, the engrafted Word. Why? Because it's able to deliver your souls. It changes our character for one thing changes our character because it produces holiness in our life. It delivers us from temptation. Somebody says, well, I can, I can resist anything but temptation. 
Well, you know, temptation is powerful and we need God's help with that. Amen? But God's given us the means whereby we can conquer temptation, but it's through the reception of the Word of God. And it imparts the strength that we need to survive, as it were, in this world. Now, you'll never be born again. You've been born once and, you know, that's it. But there's this other need of deliverance in our life. And we're going to look at some things in just a minute or two. Although your spirit is quickened and made alive, we need divine aid. And uh, that's produced as a result of the working of God's Word. Now, I said that the soul is the seat of self-consciousness. That's your mind, your will, and your emotion. I don't know about you, but even since I've been saved, I've had uh, more than a few problems in those areas. The way I think, my, my will isn't always as strong as it ought to be. My emotions, I can remember sometimes my emotions got out of control since I got saved. And uh, we need help in that area. So when he says that the engrafted word is able to save your souls, think about those three things. The mind, this is, this is the part of you that thinks, the part of you that reasons. It's, it has to do with logic, in other words. And I want to tell you, everybody needs help in this area because it's a problem everywhere. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are to have the mind of Christ. That is, we are to think like Christ. Christ. Well, how are we going to think like Christ if we don't read the Word of God? It's the Word of God that reveals to us the mind of Christ. And so if we're not saturating our soul in the Word of God, we're not going to think like Christ. And then there's the will, our volition, the choices that we make. It, it has to do with our desires and, you know, the things that we choose. And, uh, we need God's power or we end up making the wrong choices. If I receive to refuse, uh, to refuse to receive the Word of God, consequently, I'm going to make decisions about things that are important. It's going to lead me down the wrong path and ultimately become detrimental to my spiritual development, you see. The Word of God doesn't just tell us what to do. It enables us to do it. Going back to Hebrews 4.12 there. It's powerful. It enables you. It's one thing for God to whisper in your ear, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. Or to read in the Bible, you know, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. Okay, we've got the information, right? The Bible gives us the information, but it does more than that. The Bible imparts power that we don't have. It's alive and it's working. It's doing something. It's producing something. It affects the way we think. It affects our will. And it affects our emotions. You ever thought about all of the, all of the problems, all of the troubles in the world that's caused by emotions that are out of control? I never forget some years ago, one of the church members uh, stopped at the office and he said, I just come by to ask you to, to pray for me and forgive me. And he said, uh, and really just start the process of taking my name off the church roll. I said, what? 
Why? Well, he said, I'm getting ready to go over to so-and-so's house, who happened to be another church member. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it kind of meant like I'm going to go over and stomp him in the ground. And he said, I'm going to do it. And I said, why? Well, he told me why, and I almost felt like saying, well, wait a minute, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to have... I kind of felt like saying that because I knew where he was coming from. Something that had happened and it involved an insult, as it were, to this man's wife. And he, he, I'm I'm just not taking it. I'm going to go over there and deal with it. Well, thank God I talked him out of it. But I'm telling you, his emotions were just right on the verge of doing something that he would have regretted. And the other guy, too, would have regretted it, by the way. More than one person would have got hurt in that deal. But but you see, if we're not careful, things will happen that cause us to act out of character. Normally that guy wouldn't do something like that. But because of the emotions raging out of control, he was about to do something that he would have regretted. Now sometimes our emotions go the other direction. And it's not a matter of the intensity of them, you know, uh, burning within us. Our emotions kind of go the other way to where we find ourselves in a deep, dark pit of depression. Rather than being overwhelmed with anger and rage, we're just, our feelings have just, you know, leave us on the bottom of the barrel. Let me tell you, emotions can be powerful. Emotions have destroyed marriages. I mean, people have done, you know, things that normally they wouldn't ever do, and all of a sudden their emotions get out of control, and it might be that the husband hits the wife, or this could go in a lot of different directions. Somebody gets hurt, and they get bitter, and the next thing you know as a result of that, they do something that literally destroys the marriage. And, and it can bring trouble to the whole family. It can ruin relationships. It can cost you your job. There have been a lot of people lost their job because they stormed in the boss's office and, you know, told him how the calf ate the cabbage. And they wanted to know they, him to know they didn't like the way he was running the company and blah, 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 all because they were all emotionally stirred up, you see. They're like a, like a powder keg and some little spark is all it takes to set them off. And, uh, and that's why we so desperately need deliverance for our emotions, deliverance for our will, our volition, deliverance as to, the, as to the thoughts that we think. Because it's real easy for us to get our thoughts all out of whack if we don't bring it under the control of the Word of God. I said a while ago, and I referred to Job and his desire for the Word of God, but it was more than just a desire for the Word. It was a desire that was born out of necessity. And, and uh, you, you know, the, a lot of people, when they see the advantage of something, you can get them to come on board. There are people, in other words, that they eat a balanced diet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know any of them, but uh, there are people like that I've heard. 
somebody was talking last night, you know, I think about uh, you get along just fine without meat. Well, I get along fine without everything else if I've got the meat, you know. I'm like that little old woman who said, where's the beef? I, you know, I want beef or pork or something, uh, or I haven't, I haven't really eaten it. Uh, <laughs> but they eat a balanced diet. They take their meds and their vitamins. Some of them even exercise, you know. They go to the doctor for regular checkups and they do all of these things. And these very same people see no real need to take time for God's Word. Why? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. They don't see the need of it. In the physical realm... They see the benefits of a certain lifestyle. The doctor says, if you don't quit eating this and this and this, and if you don't take this medicine and that medicine, what have you, you're going to die within a matter of months. Well, that'll make us think long and hard about, you know, what we put in our stomach, you know, and we tend to listen to the doctor. But God comes along and God emphasizes the importance of receiving His Word And when it comes to the spiritual realm, these same people that put so much emphasis on the physical see no need to take care of the spiritual realm. They don't read their Bible. They don't study their Bible. And in in some cases, they don't even know anything about the promises of the Bible. Uh, They don't know anything about the power of God's Word. They... They just assume that the Bible study is for the purpose of acquiring information. Now I know more about the Bible. Boy, that was a good Sunday school lesson. I sat through that, you know, and I learned this and that. Did you know this? And uh, so forth. And we acquire all of this information. We increase our knowledge. Now listen, it does that. But it does much more than that. As I said, it exerts an influence upon us. It's creating change. it's, It's transforming us. It's enabling us. And by the way, we're not always aware of it working in our life. You know, normally you don't immediately feel the effects of uh, of food, uh, but yet it goes to work, you know, in, in your system. Now, I realize you can do kind of like I did Saturday night and eat so much that you'll feel the effects of it. But uh, But normally if you just eat sensibly, you, you don't feel the effects. I remember when I was a boy, and I've often said, you know, Dad was 5'8", and for some reason I wanted to be six foot, and uh, boy, you know, I would, I had marks on the, on on the wall and what have you, where I was hoping I'd be six foot, and I I did push-ups and set-ups and chin-ups and lifted weights and what have you, and I wanted to grow, I drank milk with raw eggs in them and stuff like that, boy, the protein, and uh, I was really into that, you know, for a while because, you know, I, I wanted to grow. But the thing of it is, I, I never, I never went through a workout, or I never drank one of those, uh, uh, one of those so-called milkshakes and, and what have you. I never did that and say, "Whoop, there, there I am!" Just you know, immediately pop up a, a couple of inches in height or anything like that. I didn't notice that there were any changes. But change was taking place within my body. And, I, and I'm telling you, you might think, well, it, it's, just, it's not going to hurt if I just quit going to Sunday school, you know. I, 
uh, you know, I, I think I'll just skip that. I'll just go in for the morning service. And I've often said, if you can attend only one service, attend Sunday school. You'll learn more about the Bible in Sunday school than you do in the morning service or the evening service. As a general rule, it's designed for that purpose. And we try to take you through the Word of God and the major portions of the Word of God. And we go verse by verse by verse so you'll get it all. It's all important, you see. But you're not going to immediately realize the effects of that even though it is at work in your life. Let me tell you, you cannot spend quality time in the Word of God with the right attitude and remain the same. It'll change you, folks. I mean it. It'll change you. And you can't neglect it without suffering loss of some kind. So you've got a decision to make. It ought to be an easy decision. And uh, that decision ought to be just as what James says, to receive the engrafted word with meekness. Why? Because it's able to save. It's able to deliver, to rescue your soul from these things we've been talking about. Um, Do you really believe what God says about his word? Just let that sink in. You really believe what God says about His Word? Uh, did anybody think God lied about it? Now, nobody here. Do you really, truly, honestly see your need of it? Uh, can you honestly say that you've done as God commands and yet derive no benefit from it? I've never met anybody like that. You know, it, it might be that you benefited without being aware of it, but, but you realize, you know, that change is taking place. You become somebody that you've never been before in one sense. And, and I'm telling you folks, there's absolutely no telling where you might be had you not studied the Word of God. Let me sum this up. For years, this isn't something recent. For years, I felt at my wit's end when it comes to trying to get people to get serious about Bible study. Within a matter of two months after I got saved, I a little, just a little longer than that, I surrendered to preach. Uh, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, a Baptist Bible College right there. I become acquainted with all of the professors there. I bowled in the same league with them. I knew them on a first name basis. I, you know, uh, I've had them in, in, in our home for, for dinner, some of them, and uh, had a great opportunity to go to Baptist Bible College. Our, the church where I was saved, we had, I don't even know how many, we had a bunch of Bible college students there, and all of them nagging at me about going to Bible college. Well, I already had, at that time, I had we had three kids at that time, and there'd be more coming in a hurry, but we had three kids. I had a job. I had to feed them. I didn't know how in the world I'm going to go off to Bible college, you know. And uh, even with it right there, and uh, so I, I made a decision, and uh, I decided that 
anything they taught in Bible college, you know, I could get the same information if I studied, because I can go down to the bookstore and buy the textbooks that they use. I, I could do that. And, and something troubled me. I heard the, these guys, all, these students all standing around together, and they were talking about their professors. And believe it or not, these professors might be teaching the same subject, but at that time there were about 3,000 students in that school. And so you can imagine, you know, that different professors, some teaching the same thing. And one, one professor was teaching this, and another professor was teaching something that contradicted with that. And, and I told you, I was just listening there. I wasn't invited in the conversation, really, but I was standing there listening. And I said, well, uh, how, how, how do you know what to believe then? If one's saying this and the other one's saying that. And they said, well, you just have to get in there and study and, uh, and, 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 and decide which one's right. Come to your own conclusion, you know, and find out what the Bible says. And I told them, I said, well, I can do that without listening to either one of them then. That was a choice I made. And for the next three years, I mean, I watched no TV. On, on, on New Year's Day, there was a time or two that I'd watch a ball game, and that was it. And Bev could tell you when I come in from work, if I had anything at church, I was at the church. As soon as I got home, as soon as I ate a bite and what have you, I went into my little cubbyhole room there, and I saturated my soul with the Word of God and studied. I mean, that went on for three years, plus preaching at the rescue mission back then and, and filling in pulpit supply. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm saying all that for a reason. And to this day, there's absolutely nothing I would rather do than just get in the office no sound whatsoever, no interruptions, and just study the Bible. Now, the reason I'm saying all of this is because I cannot, do not, understand why any Christian wouldn't enjoy, forget the probability of it, just enjoy studying God's Word. This is the most exciting, wonderful book in all of the world. I, I, and look, I'm not a scholar. I don't have some exceptional knowledge of the Bible. And, uh, but I tell you what, I don't have any doubts about the great benefits that we derive from Bible study. And uh, it gives direction in my life peace in my heart, joy in my soul. It gives me strength that I would never have otherwise. I'm going to tell you, I'd have never made it through those first six months as a new Christian. Every time I went down Sunshine, that's a street there. That happened to be where Lakeshore Bar was, which was my main hangout back then. I'd have never made it past that place had it not been for the Word of God working in my heart, giving me the power and the ability to just keep driving and to resist that temptation. And, and, and it grieves my heart when I see people depriving themselves 
of these blessings. They're putting themselves in danger. We're talking about the survival of the soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. We're talking about you protecting yourself. And, and, and when, whenever I, I just sense that I'm not getting through, I'm not getting across, you know, I just uh, have this feeling of disappointment and desperation. But by the grace of God, I'm determined that I'm going to keep trying because I know the value of it. Now, I, I don't do this. I'm not going to do it tonight. But I've often wondered how it would be if I ask, how many of you here actually spend, let's, let's, let me make it really easy. You spend at least 10 or 15 minutes a day reading, studying. Let me tell you, you're not going to get much studying done in 15 minutes for sure. You can do some reading, and, and that's about all. But I'm making it easy for you. But you spend at least 10 or 15 minutes every single day in meditating on, on some part of the Word of God. And, and I'm telling you, if you don't do if you don't do at least that, I'm telling you, you're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt yourself. And it surely must grieve the Word of God or, or grieve God whenever He sees our attitude toward His Word. So, I, I you know, I'm, we're, we're not going to give out an exam, even though I've been tempted to do that, hand out some homework. Here's your homework for the week. Take it home, bring it back. You know, we're going to see how you do. We're, we're, we're not going to do that, but, uh, but you say, well, preacher, that's okay for you and Brother, Brother Preston. You guys are preachers, you know, and it's okay for these Sunday school teachers. They ought to do that. I'm telling you, you need to do that. You, I'll tell you what, tell you what you do, because every Christian ought to be a teacher. You ought to be teaching somebody, your own children or my children. Well, not mine, they're grown, but teaching somebody. And uh, I tell you what, you you just uh, you just act as though you are you have a, you've got a Sunday school class to teach. You'll never learn more about the Bible than you will in preparing to teach a Sunday school lesson. That's the best way in the world to learn. And and so you just pretend, okay? Now look, take a. A book of the Bible or a chapter of the Bible, you can make it topical. That is, you know, some topics. Study the subject of grace, for example. Uh, you, you can study the characters of the Bible. Say, you know, for the next six months, I'm going to study the life of David, you know. And I mean just start right there where he starts and study every detail of his life and set aside so much time a day, you know, so let's, let's say 30 minutes a day. You say, yeah, but I, man, I'm already in a rush. I've got to get up in the morning and fight the traffic. The most important thing you'll do tomorrow and the next day and the next day is the time you spend in the Word of God. It doesn't get any more important than that. Look, you would, surely nobody would say, well, I think it's all right if you're really busy to just stop praying. Nobody here would say something like that. We all realize there's a need for prayer, a desperate need for prayer. 
Well, in prayer, you're talking to God, but in Bible study, God's talking to you. Let me ask you which one you think has the most important thing to say. Well, it's God. We need, listen, we need to listen to Him. And I just, I just want to encourage you tonight to get in the Word. You say, well, preacher, how, what makes you so sure that we're not really into the Word? Well, I could mention several things, and, and some of them could be embarrassing, and I won't go there. But let me just give you one. And that is whenever you never hear people asking questions about the Bible, you know they're not studying the Bible. I thought I'd drive my pastor crazy uh, at the beginning. I mean, every week. Uh, I, you know, I, I was calling him, going by the parsonage or, you know, seeing him in his office or something. What about this? And what about that? You know, I, when you're studying the Bible, you're, you're going to have more questions than you do answers. I can't remember the last time I even walked by some folks and heard them talking about, oh, you know, some, some portion of the Bible. I've been studying this or I've been studying that. I, I don't hear that. And uh, well, I get excited about the, the Word of God. I don't, I don't want to challenge you not to, to determine. I don't want to give you a program to follow. That wouldn't mean anything. But let's just say, take the next month that you'll commit. I'm going to take at least 30 minutes a day, every day, and I'm going to study some topic you know, some subject, some book, some chapter, or some verse of the Bible. I, I, I'm going to study it as thoroughly as I possibly can. And if Brother Kenneth will help me to remember, in about 30 days, I, we'll have a testimony meeting, and I, and I'm going to ask, okay, uh, how, how many how many of you you know did that or? How, how many of you can honestly say, well, I did that and I didn't get anything out of it? We'll see how you feel. Let's give God a trial at least. I mean, He deserves that much. And I really believe that if you if you get excited for 30 days and really get into the Word of God, uh, I, I, I think you'll probably just keep on going. I don't think you'll want to quit. So I hope you make that commitment. Well... I don't know how to give an invitation tonight other than just to stand and say we're going to sing and, uh, you know, whatever it is. But if God's speaking to your heart, it might be, you know, it might be that you'll just want to right there where you're at, just bow your head and say, Lord, please forgive me for having, having ignored and neglected the Word of God in my life. I've let things crowd it out. I've just been so busy doing other things. I haven't taken the time that I should. And tonight, I want to commit myself to the study of your word. Let's all stand. Our Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for having revealed yourself through the pages of, of your word. Lord, we can look up into the sky and see your greatness as a creator. Lord, we can look at, at good Christian people and see the, 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 your great power and that you're able to change lives and all of that. But it's only 
as we look into your word that we see exceeding great and precious promises and clear commandments and we see those things that give direction to our life and strength to our soul and joy to our heart. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'll challenge your people to spend quality time every single day as students of the Word of God. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.